0: All right, everybody, welcome to episode 40 of the Independent Intel podcast. I'm your regular host, Kimbui Bomani. And today, for the Lucky 4 got a new guest, Brooks Huber, profile operator of Next Gen NFL. Um, I want to really give an appreciation shout out to the uh, IG, IG profile, rather, of Laces on Leather. He got me intact into contact rather with Brooks Huber um, through IG to have him on as a podcast guest. And I'm really glad that he was able to reach out and we were able to get this situated. He has his own podcast, rather, Next Gen NFL that should be checked out by all viewers. It's on all platforms. But Brooks, man, bro, how you feeling today? Like I stated before we got on set, great to have you on. What's your vibe been like today? And um, What you can't wait to kind of uh, talk about on this pod right now. Well, I can't wait to talk about the
1: division around Thank you for having me. I'm, I appreciate this opportunity and I'm excited to talk about the divisional and the teams that got knocked out and some head coaches as well.
0: Yeah, man, I'm really great. Really great to have you on. i um, been following your content the last few weeks um, and it's pretty in-depth, um, like the graphics and everything. really like how you're able to address certain situations, have that fan engagement, which is really important for a big page like you. So. I'm um, glad to be a part of that family and glad that you're a part of the Independent Intel family. And, you know, we're going to hop right into it in terms of the topics that we'll address today. So before we dive into the division around that, I know both of us, me and Brooks, are excited to talk about. We got to talk about the wild card playoff losers and what each team could really build upon for next season. So right off rip, let's start with the Las Vegas Raiders, Brooks. I mean, they have a coaching situation that they got to figure out. They got the Derek Carr situation that they have to figure out. And they have a promising defense that showcased its upside and talent for the first time in about a while since that, you know, Mike Mayock, John Guntender was established. And so let's really start with the coach, Brooks. Um, Vegas, they got to figure out who they want to be their head man. There's talks that if Jim Harbaugh is given the job or rather John, um, given the job, he'll, it's Jim, rather, if given the job, he'll take it. Uh, Rich Bistachia did his thing with the squad, having having being able to lead them to their first playoff berth in 17 years. Um, you have some players in the locker room like Max Crosby are stunning for him to maintain the position. What should they aim for to take that seat within Las Vegas? And do you feel like Bistachia should be given a pretty good opportunity to get the job? Yeah, I
1: think Rich Bistachia should honestly get the job. I think he's done a phenomenal with the team that you had. I mean, they went through so much ups and downs this year. And to go seven and five, that has head coach and be the first ever interim coach to make the playoffs, I think that speaks volumes. And it's all going to be what does Derek Carr want? Because if they don't hire Rick, else that Derek Carr doesn't like, well, then he and the Raiders will part ways. So I'm interested to see where that goes. But this team has a bright future
0: if they can nail the GM and head
1: coaching hires and keep Derek Carr.
0: Yeah, um, Mike Mayock, rather, as Brooks just touched the pace upon the GM status, he's no longer employed as the GM of the Raiders. So they have to figure out the GM and the head coach situation. Um, But Starship, man, he came in and really resurrected that franchise when they looked like they were going to head to that usual Raider decline that we're all accustomed to, led them to the playoffs for the first time since 2002, and we're really hanging in there with a pretty talented and underrated Bengals squad. Um, next up, man, their defense. It was really able to round into complete form. Um, pass rushers, Yannick and and Max Crosby, really did their thing. And had 10 sacks. Crosby only had eight, but he had countless of pressures. However, all three of their D tackles are free agents um, Jonathan Haken, Solomon Thomas, and Quentin Thomas, rather. Um, the last two had eight sacks combined. They finally were able to build upon a defensive line in terms of being able to broad players with pass rushing capabilities. Um, do you feel like they should continue that? status quo rather in their draft than in free agency to help keep that defense intact.
1: Yeah, I think they, if they can keep rich, I think that they'll be able to keep a lot of players on their defense just because of the culture that rich has brought into that Raiders organization after Gruden left. And yeah, I love Max Crosby. He's super underrated. Uh, he's a baller on that defense and Nate Hobbs as well. And he's a young safety for them, a rookie. And I think they have some good foundational pieces moving forward.
0: They do indeed. They do indeed. Um, I like Max Crosby a lot. He's been their best pass rusher within the squad for a variety of years now. So it was very important for them to get a guy in there that can align with him as a pass rusher. And Yannick Ngakui was that for them. Last but not least, Derek Carr's situation. The rumor is the coach and the GM will decide what they want to do with Derek Carr moving forward whenever they hire that within the Vegas organization. In your eyes, do you feel like Vegas, for them to stay on that trajectory upward, is keeping Derek Carr the move? Or if the new organization comes in and they feels like they can do better than him, should they do so and feel confident enough that they have the uh, team currently to build upon a quarterback move to keep them in playoff contention?
1: I think it's essential to keep Derek Carr in Vegas. I'm looking at this rookie draft class. I don't like it at all. I don't think there's a single guy that's better than Derek Carr. And Derek Carr is one of the most clutch, if not the most clutch quarterback in the league this past year. And if I'm looking at teams that could potentially take on Derek Carr through a trade or whatever, I'm obviously looking at teams like the Colts or the Washington football team or even the Steelers. So, those are some destinations I would have if they
0: part ways. Yo, as a Saints fan, wouldn't mind Derek Carr on on my team. I mean, we were a quarterback away from making a playoff push this season. Uh, It's a catch 2020 for the Raiders. I do feel like they can continue to build with Derek Carr. I mean, as I have my statistics, or rather his statistics, rather in front of me. Um, He had a career season. He had career highs in passing yards this year, pass attempts. They'd have career highs in interceptions and sacks. But the upside, you could tell, is there. He was very important to really the team being able to make a playoff push. There were times this year when the incorporation of a run game and timely defensive plays helped elevate that team and matchups where Carr struggled. But I felt like the biggest issue with Carr was the tension that was really in between him and Gruden. He was never Gruden's guy. I think Gruden was always trying to find a creative way to get rid of him. But the team always stayed competitive, even in their average lean years under Gruden. And that was because of Derek. So if they're able to get a new guy in there that trusts Derek and they are able to build upon what he's brought to the Raiders organization throughout his young career, I think good things can happen for Vegas moving forward. Up next, we got to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. They're another team that did not make it past wildcard weekend. They were a part of one of the bigger upsets last weekend from the San Francisco 49ers. And there's really three topics in front of me, Brooks, that stand out. I mean, they got to figure out the running back situation, who should call the plays moving forward, Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy, and how will their defense identity change when Dan Quinn leaves? Because I think it's pretty fair to say I don't think Quinn's going to be there next year. I think he'll get a head coaching job somewhere. This offseason. So let's start with Zeke and Pollard, the running back situation. Ezekiel Elliott has been their lead dog ever since he was drafted out of Ohio State. And I think the 2016 NFL draft, he hasn't been the same. And it's pretty clear that that Pollard has been able to come in and provide a burst to their offense. So moving forward into next season. How should they figure out that running back dynamic? Should they split carries with Zeke being the de facto starter and as the game goes on, each get kind of the same amount of carries? Or should they scratch that entirely and make Pollard the lead guy and bring Zeke in for some like short yardage or goal line situations?
1: So the way I look at it as a Cowboys fan, unfortunately, I do think that Pollard should be getting a 60-40 carries. He had only six carries in the wild card. That uh, You can't have that when he's your best running back. And unfortunately for the Cowboys, they can't get rid of him because they paid Zeke a mammoth of a contract. So they're going to have to hold on to him for a few more years until it's financially acceptable to cut him.
0: Yeah, that's a staunch reality there. I mean, uh, they paid him a huge deal, and they're kind of stuck with him, so they can't really pivot off of him like they probably want to. Um, kudos to... Jerry Jones, for I think a few years back, drafting a guy like Pollard, Tony Pollard, rather from Memphis, because you know that the amount of carries and the mileage was piling up on Zeke due to the amount of touches he got early in his career. So he prepared for a reality like this. But I think, best case scenario, he thought Zeke and Pollard would be a tandem, not in the middle of Zeke's humongous deal. Pollard is the guy that's going to have to take for the ranks. Now, Zeke did pass a thousand yards rushing for the fourth time in six seasons. He even had 10-plus rushing scores for the third time this year. However, like we stated, he's clearly not the same. He averaged 58.9 yards per game through 17 starts and had a career-low 14 rushes per game. Meanwhile, with Pollard, he averages 5.5 yards a pop on just really nine carries per matchup, and he was 211 yards away from 1,000 yards, and he did so on only 130 carries. So you could see the dynamicness when Pollard has the ball and the efficiency he's able to accumulate in between the tackles than Zeke. Now, continuing on the offensive side, the play-calling duties. Let's be real, Brooks, man. I, I think I saw it even on your um, IG profile, your IG post, rather, on your platform. Kellen Moore isn't it. He, he, he's, in my opinion, a little bit overrated as a play caller. I know he's getting a lot of love and praise for head coaching jobs down the line. But in the playoffs and really that back half of the season, he showcased that his inability to utilize his weapons on the team effectively was prominent. So, looks like he's going to stay on the staff next year. There's a decision that really needs to be had. And my question to you, Brooks, is should Kellen Moore or Mike McCarthy be calling the plays offensively for Dallas next season?
1: I'm going to go with neither. I think you were spot on with Kellen Moore. He is very overrated. He got figured out in the later half of the year. And I do think he will get a head coaching job somewhere. I think Miami would be great because Kellen Moore was a left hand quarterback. Tua is a left hand quarterback. I would also look out for Minnesota because – they need that offense to go to the next level. But I, I don't see Calvin Moore being back with the Cowboys. And while Mike McCarthy could call plays, I don't see him doing that. I see him hiring someone that he likes. And, and I really hope that's the case because they have so many stars on that offense and they just can't get them open. Like C.E. Lamb had one catch in the wild card. Amari Cooper had less than 900 yards all season. Like that, you just can't have that happen again. Like I said, Pollard, six touches. You just can't have that happening.
0: Yeah, watching Dallas games throughout the year, a couple of things really shine bright. Um, Their most dynamic weapons on the team, C.D. Lamb and Tony Pollard, I just felt like weren't giving enough reps throughout games consistently to be effective on the offensive end. They were still catering to a fading Ezekiel Elliott when we both realized he's not the same. And a much maligned Amari Cooper at times was featured more than C.D. Lamb and then other times was barely featured at all, like he wasn't even on the field. Then they had the tight end situation where when they did utilize Dalton Schultz out of play action concepts, he was effective. They didn't do that enough. And then the biggest thing for me, Brooks, is Dak Prescott has an underrated and, in my opinion, untapped rushing ability that's never featured in some type of RPO offensive setup. We see a lot of mobile quarterbacks in the NFL utilize RPO concepts. We see the Kansas City Chiefs utilize an RPO concept with Pat Mahomes. So I just don't understand them not utilizing the aspect of Dak's game that helped get him to this point in the NFL, get him through the NFL. His dual threat ability, I think that needs to be utilized more. All of these concepts haven't been brought to the forefront by Kellen Moore. And I think the best thing that can happen for Dallas is Kellen Moore does leave, like you say, to get a head coaching job. And Mike McCarthy can put a more visionary play caller on his staff that can get the best out of everybody on the squad offensively. Last coach I want to address, Dan Quinn. His predominantly man coverage schemes help Dallas' secondary thrive with takeaways all year. But it sounds like, Brooks, he won't be there next season. So if he leaves, the big question is, should they keep its man principles within the defense? Or should they add somebody that that brings a certain level of duality and coverages? And I think I saw on JPA football and IG, Dallas is intrigued to bring in Mike Zimmer, who, in my opinion, is a great defensive coordinator, kind of maxed out as a head coach. I think he'd be a great hire for that defense. Uh, where do you think they should go there if Quinn does leave?
1: Yeah, I was just going to bring that up with Mike Zimmer. I think that's a great hire. Bring him back to Dallas because he was a position coach on defense before he got his opportunities in the NFL as a head coach. I think that would be a great hire. Obviously, Don Martindale just got let go by the Ravens all around the league. People love him. I think he would be a great fit as well. And then Vic Fangio, he was a terrible head coach, but I think he's a great defensive mind. So the Cowboys, even though Dan Quinn was amazing for Micah Parsons and this defense, I don't think all is lost. I think they can bring in someone very talented but the problem really is the offense and finding a different offensive coordinator when Kellen Moore leaves. And I think that's
0: going to be their biggest struggle. That is going to be their biggest struggle. Indeed, I might add, man, getting losing Dan Quinn might be the best thing in this offseason because it allows Dallas to possibly get more upside at the D.C. spot for their team. They also need another cornerback because I don't think Anthony Brown is the answer. He's so bad on the opposite side of and Diggs. But luckily, it's a deep cornerback draft this year. Next up, the Philadelphia Eagles. Really going to keep this short and sweet Brooks with them. Jalen Hurts has been given the vote of confidence from Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman as the quarterback of the future for the Eagles. Last season, as a full-time starter, he crossed 3,000 yards passing, he had 16 TDs and nine interceptions, but you're only as good as your last performance, and his last one against Tampa was not great. He threw for 209 yards passing, well, passing a game rather, but his last performance against Tampa wasn't good, like I stated. Uh, threw for 258 yards on 43 pass attempts, just one touchdown, two picks. It felt like Aikman was screaming to the Eagles, even though the Eagles couldn't hear him. To get Devonte Smith involved, and he struggled to do so. So, my question to you, Brooks: All right, Philly's done the right thing by putting their vote of confidence into Jalen Hurts. And to be fair with Jalen, it's clear ever since he came into the football world at Alabama as a 17 year old, he has improved every year as a passer. Do you feel like his gradual evolution will align in time with Philadelphia's playoff aspirations, or he, or is he, or is he not the long term answer?
1: I think he's a long-term answer. I've been a big Jalen Hurts guy ever since he was in college, and he's a proven winner. He's he's a guy who's going to be doing anything that he can to make his team win, and I think he is that long-term guy. I'm glad they're going to be using their three first-round picks to build around him because I think that's the best thing they can do. And now as far as who they're going to take, I haven't looked at those prospects yet. I would assume some defense, maybe one offensive lineman. Who knows? But, yeah, I think for a team that was rebuilding – uh, being in the playoffs in the first year of the rebuild with the new head coach, a young quarterback is a very big thing.
0: It is indeed. Um, Jalen Hurts was never really that high on him coming out of um, Oklahoma. I felt like he was a great guy. He was a hard worker. He's going to improve on his craft, but I thought he was inconsistent as a passer and throughout this year, that was true, but it felt like he improved a lot from his rookie season to his second year. And let's be real. His second year was truly his first rookie season. I think what Philadelphia is basically saying to their fan bases, We're going to make up for the Jalen regular selection that looks terrible considering Justin Jefferson was picked after. They're going to take a receiver. But I do think for this team to reach its potential, the two or three picks have to be defense. I think they got to resolve the situation in terms of adding some depth in the secondary, getting some youth on that side of the ball because they're depending a lot on guys that are up in their 30s, and you always want to be able to draft to replace guys as they get older so you won't be behind the eight ball when those contracts are up. Up next, the New England Patriots, man. Uh, For me personally, um, they got decimated by the Bills, and they've got to figure out Josh Allen. I think that's the biggest thing that they need to focus on moving forward. Um, Since 2020 versus the Patriots, Allen has completed 63.4% of his passes, 933 total yards through the air, eight touchdowns, one pick, and we can't forget about the playoffs. Where he threw for 308 yards, five touchdowns, had more touchdowns, five, than incompletions, four. New England's got to make a decision on J.C. Jackson. But it's clear, Brooks, throughout the time since Brady has left and Allen has evolved as a passer, they've had no answer for Josh. What do they need to do to crack that code? Because it's pretty clear on the offensive side. They got the franchise quarterback and Mac Jones. They got the weapons around him and they got a philosophy that fits into where they want to be offensively as New England. How can they crack the code defensively against really the king of the AFC East now and Josh Allen?
1: Well, they were really banged up heading into this game at the cornerback position. All they have is J.C. Jackson, who statistically is not very good versus Stephon Diggs. So I think if they can get some corner help, that'll go a long way. They need to get weapons for Mac Jones, wide receivers, preferably because they just don't have that for Mac Jones. And yeah, I mean, going back to that Stephon Gilmore trade, I don't know why they traded him when they were willing to pay everybody else so much money, like Matthew Judon, Hunter Henry, John New Smith. But, you know, here we are. I think if they add Stefan Gilmore, that game is very different score-wise.
0: I agree to do miss a guy like Stephon Gilmore. JC Jackson clearly is just not a good matchup against Stefan Diggs and the Bills. And I think when it's comes time for him to get that raise – Um, It gives New England to have leverage to tag him and kind of see is the third time the charm. Does he crack the code? Because if your best corner doesn't match up against the most high powered offense in your division, that's a problem. I don't know if I want to put all my uh, economical compensation within him. I do think corner corner depth rather for New England is important. They need to get some younger pass rushers. They got some nice stout run stoppers. But Kyle Van Noy is a little bit um, long in the tooth. Uh, Dante Hightower is a little bit longer than the tooth. They need to get a little bit younger in the trenches like they got younger in the secondary. And weapons wouldn't hurt for Mac. Um, Kendry Bourne's cool. Jacoby Myers is cool. But they got to find a big time X receiver since the kill Harry hasn't worked. And maybe some tight end depth because Hunter Henry and John o. Smith weren't able to be on the field consistently. So that kind of hindered their productivity, despite the fact that they were given all this money in the offseason to be productive. Um, The Pittsburgh Steelers are up next. They got killed by Kansas City. They have to resolve their offensive line. And Brooks, they got to resolve their quarterback position. I feel like they're in the kind of spot that the Saints were this year. That'll be the Steelers next year. They'll be very competitive. But because of quarterback issues, I don't think it's going to be able to allow them to be those perennial playoff contenders that we're accustomed to seeing. So on the O-line, Kevin Donson, second year guard, has been solid for them. PFF grade, 78.4 in blocking. He allowed three sacks and 10 total pressures in nine games before injury. But everybody else on their offensive line was not good. Those two tackles weren't great. Their center wasn't good. Like I stated before, they got the quarterback debacle, Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins, or do they draft somebody? How do you feel they can resolve those issues in the offseason and the draft to where next season doesn't look so bleak for them offensively?
1: I don't know if they can do that. I'm not a big fan of their play caller. Like you said, offensive line is struggling, but that's not even their biggest um, problem with their offense. Their quarterback, they need to either get Matt Corral or Kenny Pickett, both um, high draft prospects. I'm not too high on them, but I think they have to go with that route. Or worst case scenario, they get a guy like Marcus Mariota from the Raiders, or maybe, just maybe they can trade for Derek Carr, like I before mentioned. They're going to have to out and that's the Steelers' problem for not trying to find a replacement for Ben a few years ago because uh, the most they tried was was the current backup Mason Rudolph, and that's not, not at all. So I think they need to definitely get a quarterback. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year, but this could probably be a rebuild year.
0: As a Saints fan, I know the pain. When you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, and you have every opportunity to replace him by drafting somebody in these quarterback laden drafts. And you refuse to do so. Pittsburgh's in that same predicament. But I do think what could happen for the best case scenario, I say take a chance on a Carson Strong. He's kind of that prototypical Pittsburgh quarterback that they've had before, kind of a pocket passer with a big arm. Do worry about the injury concerns there. But if Carson Strong's there in the early or mid parts of the second round, maybe even late in the first, I think you take a flyer on him because I don't think Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral will be there when Pittsburgh drafts in the upcoming drafts process last team that got eliminated in the playoffs and then we'll move on to the divisional round. the arizona cardinals it's pretty clear brooks man the talent is there but it's clear there's some coaching deficiencies and they need some cornerback depth as well and really want to touch base on the coaching aspect the cornerback aspect and then i'll turn it over to you um cliff kingsbury has been here for three years they've improved every year but the last two years have had similar endings they start off strong and then they have these declines late in the year when you need to turn it on when playoff football starts to escalate in November, December, and January. And it's like they didn't show up at all. We're woefully unprepared and at annihilation in Los Angeles versus divisional rival, the Rams. And then there's the cornerback debt for this team. Marco Wilson and Byron Murphy was so inconsistent all year. Luckily, it's a deep cornerback draft coming up. So maybe they can address that. But how can they resolve the coaching issues? cornerback situation and even weapon wise because when deandre hawkins isn't there Kyler murray's a different quarterback and that offense just doesn't hit the same
1: well first of all i do think they have to fire cliff he's what kellen moore would be a head coach i think that's a pretty good comparison cliff is not that good as a head coach i mean we saw it with texas tech you couldn't even win with patrick mahomes so i don't know how he got this job with the cardinals he always starts off pretty good, but towards the last five, seven games of the year, he falls apart. And as far as Kyler Murray goes, he holds on to the ball for way too long with that offensive line. His offensive line obviously is not that good, but you can't get mad when they have holding penalties when you're holding on to the football for 10 seconds per drop back. And I do think without D Hop, he's not top 10 quarterback and maybe a little bit overrated, but certainly with D Hop, he is in that conversation for top 10. You're right with the corners. They have to improve that, and I think they're going to be looking at that through the draft. I bet they're kind of shaking their head that they didn't get Caleb Farley or Asante Samuel over Xavier Collins, because I don't think that's working out for them right now. But, yeah, they have some interesting decisions to make this offseason.
0: Interesting decisions indeed for Arizona. I want to touch base on two things with the cars before we pivot to the divisional round. Kyler Murray is a great talent, but you're right about him holding on to the ball too long. I think a lot of it has to do with his height. And so from a high perspective, since he can't really see over his line, um, over his guys breaking open at the top of the routes, he has to kind of wait for them to get open in wide peripheral vision areas of the field for him to hit them. Another big thing with Arizona, they were such a efficient offensive team when they ran the ball that's how they beat dallas late in the year they gave up really the opportunity to be a consistent run team against the rams they didn't really establish the run at all and kind of let Kyler murray drop back against that ferocious rams passwords and make things happen and he could not do so so really that balance offensively needs to be established and that's on cliff the secondary aspect like i said they've been really hit or miss there and the biggest thing that i've really heard from people and it's valid you know cliff can only do so much i mean I don't know how much of the input he has on the draft process. I mean, he could do a better job of creating a level of balance offensively, but they've whipped on some draft selections. Isaiah Simmons is still a project. I think he's a safety-playing linebacker. You just talked about Collins, the linebacker that they took, which made no sense because you took two first-round linebackers that play the middle in a row, don't get it. Um, They took a flyer on Marco Wilson who – was not the most renowned out of Florida, and he's been inconsistent just like his college career has. So isn't he the guy that threw that shoe for He Florida? is the guy that threw that shoe. He <laughs> sure is. So they've whiffed on some draft picks recently, and it's kind of why this team isn't there yet. But like I stated before, cornerback class is deep. The wide receiver class is deep. So Because I think now they need to start preparing to draft DeAndre Hopkins' replacement. He's not what he used to be in Houston. you got to get you a big X boundary receiver that's not DeAndre or A.J. Green a Drake London would be great for that offense because I think that'll allow that passing game to be a lot more efficient and fluid. So moving on to divisional round of the playoffs, we're going to talk about it and we're going to go game by game. Let's start with the Tennessee Titans and the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, Derek Henry returns, just got off of um, IR. So he's going to officially be able to play tomorrow. Um, his rushing ability provides a balance within the Titans offense that I think can present challenges against Cincinnati on Cincinnati's side. I feel like Vrabel, the coach that he is, is going to do what the Raiders didn't do against Jamar Chase. They're going to double team him and kind of make T. Higgins and Tyler um, Tyler Boyd beat them one-on-one. And then Burrow's elusiveness will be important within the front seven. Uh, we all think Tennessee's going to win. Um, but I want to pivot to Cincinnati's chances because they have somewhat of a slight chance. What is the best chance for the Bengals to pull off the upset and get to the AFC Championship game in your eyes?
1: Well, it's actually funny that you said that you think the Titans are going. I think it, this is the Bengals game to win. Right now, the quarterback position, uh, confidence is the biggest thing you need. And Joe Burrow has all of it right now. I, I understand that Derek Henry is coming back. But, I mean, I, I just love how Joe Burrow is playing right now. And that defense is playing phenomenal. I'm not too big on Ryan Tannehill. But, like you said, they're going to go safety over the top with Kevin Byard for Jamar Chase. I expect T. Higgins to have a... Astronomical game, and also Joe Mixon to get done on the ground, but it's going to come down to Joe Burrow. It could be a shootout, but Joe
0: Burrow has to show up, and I really think he will. Yeah, the weakest link of the Tennessee Titans defense are their corners. They have a solid front seven. They have one of the best safeties in the game and Kevin Byard, and so because of that, I think their front seven and their safety play will do a pretty important job on neutralizing Chase and getting into the backfield against Burrow, but. Burrow had to lose some pressure against Vegas last week, and he did a pretty good job and was able to complete the ball rather efficiently. You know, Jonah Williams is going to be key. He played pretty well last week against Vegas. He's got to hold down that left side. Um, but the right side of the line, which is the weakest link of the Cincinnati offensive line, they got to hold up against Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry. So it's going to be a nice little chess match. I have Tennessee because I've seen Cincy play throughout the season. The two biggest things that hurt the Bengals are obviously when their offensive line isn't able to hold up just enough for Burrow and he gets killed. He's not the most efficient and his decisions are very erratic, which is understandable when you have to throw out a pressure time and time again. And then the biggest thing with Cincy defensively, they struggle to stop the run and so derrick henry might not be fully 100 which is why i expect the rotation between henry and deontay foreman but if those guys are able to establish the run and keep to keep staying ahead of the chance they have a pretty good chance to win so that's why i got the titans but i wouldn't be shocked because like you said brooks burrow is just on another level right now and they've been cooking as a unit really the past month mm-hmm. up next the packers and the niners um, the last three times Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay have faced San Francisco, they've been all losses in the postseason. Rather, now they get to face these guys for a fourth time in a row. It's pr- fair to say, Brooks, this is the best Packer team that Rodgers has been a part of in recent memory. And I have them beating the Niners. Uh, but what's the key for Green Bay to come out of their bye, locked in and focus, and avoid a fourth straight playoff loss against San Francisco? Because just like the other three San Francisco teams – the Niners bring a hellacious defensive line to Lambeau.
1: Well, you just have to come out with Aaron Rodgers and just start slinging it. Get him into the game early. Get the ball to Devontae Adams early because when Devontae Adams is cooking, they are super hard to stop. And also get the run game going because Aaron Rodgers is using play action the last two seasons. He has 35 touchdowns and zero picks. That is an insane stat. And if they can get the play action going with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, they're going to be hard to stop.
0: Yeah, the best thing Matt LaFleur brought to the table, because I remember he was the former offensive coordinator for Royal Brown, the Tennessee Titans. He came to Green Bay. Everybody was like, why? Titans had the 31st ranked offense in the league. I knew bring, what he brought to Green Bay would be balance. And they needed balance because Rodgers, at that point of his career, was starting to decline because everything was on his shoulders to make plays like he was in his prime, 26, 27 years old. And he, you just can't rely on him to do that all of a sudden because he's getting up there in age. He had a lack of mistrust in terms of well, mistrust rather and whatever Mike McCarthy dialed up. So they've incorporated a rushing style. It's why they've been successful throughout the regular season. It's why they've been successful somewhat in the playoffs. I think they continue that. Um, Dallas wasn't able to run the fall as effectively as they like to because they got down. I think Green Bay is going to establish balance early. That'll help keep. Nick Bosa, the dynamite pass rusher on his toes, and then you can play action off of that because the weakness of this Niner defense is their secondary. But for you to be able to attack their secondary, your front line has to hold up against their hellacious pass rush. How can you keep their hellacious pass rush honest? You stay focused on establishing the run. Now with the Niners, Jimmy G's got an injury. He's nicked up. He's headed to Lambeau Field. He's going to try to play through it. San Francisco was able to run the ball effectively against Dallas, and get it done. They can, they're can. they going to probably run the ball effectively against Green Bay because that's the weakest link on their team, the run defense. Is it going to come down, Brooks, for to Jimmy G having to make a couple of crucial throws because, let's be real, he didn't have to against Dallas. San Francisco did a great job of setting the tone physically early. They're probably not going to be able to do the same thing against Green Bay. Is he going to have to make some big-time throws for this team to pull off the upset?
1: Absolutely, he's the X factor. When you're playing against a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who rarely turns the ball over, you can't have your critical Jimmy Garoppolo plays where he does turn the ball over. He makes those silly mistakes, and he can't do that. He has to be a very good game manager. He has to uh, use Debo Samuel, use that play action, and really just trust the scheme. Don't try to do too much because when you do that against Aaron Rodgers, he will make you pay. And if you can just Stay ahead of the chains and maybe get a lead early and lean on that run game. That's going to be important because if they're down 14 rip right away, that's going to be hard for them to come out of because of Jimmy Garoppolo.
0: It is, man. Look, Jimmy G's why they're here. I mean, he he took over in the second half against the L.A. Rams. This is why they're in the playoffs to begin with. He's going to probably have to have one of those matchups. I'm not going to even say one. To be real, he's probably going to have to have three of those matchups the rest of the way for this team to win a championship. He's going to have to have probably not a game, but he's going to have to have a collection of drives where he's just taking over, making key third down conversion throws for this team to win. If he does, they have a great shot. If he doesn't, this will be over fast. Now, the Sunday games, the bangers, the Rams, Buccaneers you are going to start with them first, Brooks. Um, The Rams, man, they got here because they were able to run all over Arizona. They were able to really take the ball out of Matthew Stafford's hands, go back to their fundamental roots under Sean McVay, and they set the tone with their offensive and defensive line. High chance, they probably won't be able to do the same against Tampa offensively. What will this Rams offense need to do to be able to move the ball against a very helter-skelter Tampa defensive front that has been consistent, though, at stopping the run all year?
1: Well, they got to keep the Bucks' defense on it. So that's just by running the football, because if you just come out slinging it, it's going to be easier for them to lock down Cooper Cup and and OBJ by just playing over the top. But if you get a run game going too, okay, they're going to have to play you honest now, and they're going to have to bring their safeties a little bit closer. And that gives you opportunities to beam one up to Cooper Cup or OBJ to break open that defense. And as far as the Bucs go, I think the Bucks end up winning this game. Tom Brady got embarrassed in week three, was it? I think he is on a mission, and you can never really bet against Tom Brady in the playoffs. We've seen when people try to do it, and it never works. So I like Tom Brady and the Bucks in this one.
0: For the Rams, in my opinion, uh, they got to be able to come into this game with the mindset of a 2-3-yard run is a W. Just because you only get a 2-3-yard run, don't abandon it. Stay with it over time. Keep them modest, like you said, open up the heart of that defensive front, which is the middle, and then not open everything up in the pass. Because if you drop back to throw against Tampa 45 times, the Rams' offensive line just isn't built to withstand that type of pressure. They're old, they're long in the tooth, they're not as athletic, and Tampa's pass rushers will get active. I've got the Rams, and the reason why is because – Brady's lack of, I think, weapons outside of Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski, I think will catch up with him. And I have questions about their offensive line. Now, Ryan Jensen and Tristan were will play, but they were very nicked up against the Eagles. And for about two quarters, Philadelphia dominated the trenches on a defensive side and really kept that Eagles team in it when Hurts wasn't there. How concerned are you that Tampa's offensive line won't be able to hold up because of the recency injury bias?
1: I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it because Tom Brady at this point in his career for the last how many years has been really good at getting that ball out quickly. And he has the guys to make it happen. Obviously, he has Leonard Fournette coming back. That's going to be huge for his little check downs. Joe Vaughn Bernard is great receiving back. And he has Scotty Miller in the slot as well. Mike Evans, I mean, he has a lot of weapons that he can utilize where you can get the ball out quickly. So I think that's going to neutralize the defensive line on the L.A. Rams and really –
0: put it hard on the safeties for the Rams. All valid points. And while you were talking, it really popped into my head. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a running game for Tampa. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Brady winds up and just throws 25 passes and they run a combination of Fournette, Bernard, Le'Veon, Bell, um, those characters about 40 times because the the way to beat the Rams defensively is to run on them. And I, I was astonished that Arizona wasn't able to, bring that element of offensive balance within their game plan. That's why they got pass rush out the building. I don't think Tampa falls into that trap, especially with the wink links that they have out wide. I think they ride the running game as long as they can because they'll protect Tom Brady and his offensive line. It's kind of reeling a little bit due to injuries. Last but not least to wrap up the divisional wildcard topics before we move on to the last one on the coaching carousel, Buffalo, Kansas city, the game of the weekend rematch of the AFC championship game from a year ago. Buffalo, they're rolling. They cooked New England to the tune of never punting the whole game. Josh Allen looks like he's on cloud nine. Kansas City started slow against Pittsburgh, and then they rolled through him ever since. These teams met early on in the season, and Buffalo is at a different point of the year. Kansas City was at a different point of the year. Buffalo did what they had to do, dominated from start to finish. These two teams have kind of come to this point. With two different trajectories, Buffalo has gained steam recently. Kansas City has been riding high ever since week eight. Um, What chance do you give Buffalo to go into Kansas City and get the upset?
1: I give them a 50% chance. I mean, the way I look at it,
0: this is just a coin
1: flip. And as much as I love the Bills, uh, I love Josh Allen. I love their receivers. I wanted to pick them, but my gut is telling me the Chiefs just because it's hard to beat Patrick Mahomes twice in one year. But also you have the Bills in the back of their head, the AFC championship game last year. So it's really going to come down to a coin flip, two electric high-powered offenses, both teams clicking at the right time, and it's going to really come down to who has the ball at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, for me personally, you got to stop 15. I mean, you have you've had that – you've had – if you're in the AFC – You've always had to find a way to stop 15 ever since he took rings as a starting quarterback over Alex Smith in his second year in the league. You got to stop 15. Josh Allen is stoppable as great as he played against New England. Um, personally, coming to this game, I threw out what Buffalo did against New England and I threw out what Kansas City did against Pittsburgh. Reasons why? Simple. We just talked about it. Allen has New England's number. Like whatever Dable was scheming up over there and Rochester, New York it's working because Buffalo they go crazy, like they they just find a way to have Bill Belichick's number. Ever since Josh Allen has taken that next step as a passer, Kansas City, we all knew coming in when they played Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had no chance, and once Kansas City turned it on, it was over. Now Kansas City's front seven, when they played early on in the year, did not have Melvin Ingram, did not have Chris Jones, and I think Frank Clark wasn't playing either. And if he was, he had just come back. Now Kansas City's D line has all of that. The key to beating Buffalo, in my opinion, is putting pressure on Josh Allen. And their offensive line is beatable. You can't provide a rush against them. I think it's important for Buffalo to establish the run, to keep Mahomes off the field, to protect their defense, and to protect Josh Allen from himself. Because in enhanced games like this, Allen does have a tendency to do the most. That is why he has been sitting home early in the playoffs the past two years. But like I stated before, it's about stopping Mahomes. And I'm going to ask you this, Brooks. They haven't had Trey White for a while and they've been able to get away with it to this point. How much will they miss him in terms of what type of coverage looks they can provide against Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill?
1: Well, they're, they're going to miss him a lot. It's going to come down to their all pro safety duo and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. And I think those two are X factors in this week's game, because if they, if they don't play well, they, they're not going to win this game. And uh the Chiefs offense is explosive. We know this. We know Tyreek Killa can change the game in just one play, just like that. And it's going to come down to that. I think Les- Leslie Frazier is a terrific defensive coordinator. He's gotten the bills to the best defense in all football without Tredavious White. I think they can go in and do their job this Sunday.
0: Yeah, man, um, I-, I think so, too. I think both teams are going to hold serve and uh, make plays when they need to. But I got to roll with Kansas City as well because of what Pat Matt represents, man. He's a dynamic freak of nature. And the real honesty to it all is the Chiefs offense figured out the too high safety look. They figured it out. It just took patience and it took a willingness to run the football. So if Buffalo rolls out the same game, game plan, rather, that they had early on in the season, I don't think that's going to work very well, especially with Trey White not on the field, because Mahomes has been willing and open to hitting other guys on the field that don't represent Tyreek Hill's deep threatness. And what Travis Kelsey represents as the all-time great possession tight end receiver. So I got the Chiefs in this one. It's going to be a close game, but I got KC going back to the AFC championship. Uh, last but not least, before we wrap up this pod, we're going to talk about the coaching positions. I'm kind of going to go through all guys that have vacancies. We talked about the Vegas Raiders, so I'm going to move on from them. Um, the Chicago Bears, uh, they have a coaching vacancy, rather. Matt Nagy's no longer there. Obviously, the objective is to get somebody that we'll relate to and is comfortable with getting the best out of Justin Fields. But I'm hearing Brian Flores is a guy that the Bears like. How would you feel about that hire, and do you think it's the move? I wouldn't
1: mind that hire at all. I think about like a week or two ago, I thought Doug Pearson may be the guy because he was on the field with Justin Fields in training camp, and maybe they had a connection. But I honestly would love a Brian Flores hire for them get that defense to back to where it was a few years ago when they made that playoff run. And then they do need to bring in a good offensive coordinator because it doesn't matter who you bring in as a head coach. If you cannot progress Justin Fields and give him the help he needs. So I don't really care who the
0: head coach is. I'm more worried about that offensive coordinator for Justin Fields. Which is why, in my opinion, you got to make a decision. Um, do you prioritize offense and this head coaching hire or, A guy that can resurgence the defense to bring back the monsters of the midway. You get Brian Flores, I'm not gonna lie, you're gonna have a top 10 defense. The pieces are there, they probably need to draft a couple more pieces in the secondary, get some more depth on the D-line. But if you bring in Flores, you're gonna be a top 10 defense, which is great because you got to go against Aaron Rodgers and probably Kirk Cousins for another year. So that's gonna be valuable, but you gotta have a guy that's able to reach Justin Fields in some capacity. And the rumor with Flores when he was with Miami is he hired or hires, or has hired, rather, a horrible staff. So because of that, do I trust Flores to bring the right OC to get the best out of Justin? I personally go after Brian Dable, and we're going to talk a little bit about where Brian Dable is now rumored to go to because there was some recency stuff that's happened within the NFL news, but I go after Dable. You mentioned Peterson, even Byron Leffridge. The OC would be an offensive-minded guy. Chicago has a franchise caliber quarterback in Justin Fields. You don't want to blow your chance to get the best out of that position since since ever. And so you got to bring somebody in there that can get the best out of using Fields' legs and his arm and maybe implement some RPO concepts to utilize the weapons that are on the offense because you have Darnell Mooney, you have Cole Komet, Jimmy he's still there. You got a plethora of running backs and Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery. So I say go offense when it comes to hiring a head coach, but we'll see where Chicago goes. Up next to Houston, Texas, I don't really know what they're doing. Um, They talked to Brian Flores. They like Brian Flores. There was a rumor that Brian Flores might be the guy, and he'd be able to flip Deshaun Watson to come back to Houston, but that's kind of died down. They gave Josh McCown an interview, which made no sense to me. Um, I don't know where Houston's going here personally. Brooks, where do you think their head coaching hire should be directed towards? A guy that can come in and rebuild the culture? or a guy that can come in and kind of align with the upside that um, Mills has been able to show at the quarterback position.
1: I think it has to be culture because right now they're kind of a dumpster fire. I don't understand why they let go of David Cully. I think he surpassed with their expectations, but I heard it is because he wasn't willing to change the offensive coordinator who was beyond awful. So that makes sense. And they also only guaranteed the first two years of this contract. So you can kind of see the writing on the wall for why they fired him. And I'm looking at Jonathan Gannon, though. He's the current Eagles defensive coordinator. He is widely regarded as a great guy in NFL circles. I don't know how he is as a culture standpoint, but I think he'd be a good fit because when you're going head coaches, you you do want to have a guy who's either really good defensively or offensively. But the main thing is culture because there's a reason why you don't have a head coach. If you're looking for one, it's because you don't have the right culture in place. And so I think that's the main thing you have to go for. I don't know if Jonathan Gannon is that, but I hope he is for the Texans fans sake.
0: Like you said, Brooks, they need a culture guy. Um, They don't really need an offensive guy, a defensive guy. They just need to hire a guy that's able to bring a level of change, a level of progression and a level of building and, honestly you know the Gannon guy that you mentioned from Philly is not a bad option they need a guy like a Mike Vrabel I don't know if a Mike Vrabel is lying out there but you need a guy that's coming in that provides a level of accountability a level of action a level of you know call to action rather challenging his players to get the best because you know like you said Cully um, when they fired him I got it because I knew deep down he was just a stopgap but when he w- but Lovey Smith, not saying he should be the guy for them, but Lovey Smith got the best out of that defense. And a lot of it has to do with the pedigree he has within the cover two scheme and what he brings to the table as an NFL coordinator and a coach. If they can hire somebody like that, that has skins on the wall, that's been around an NFL team, an NFL locker room, and knows how it works, then you'll start slowly but surely building, um, rebuilding rather the Houston Texans team because Deshaun Watson is going to be gone. You're going to get a boatload of picks. So you need a coach in that's going to embrace the rebuild like the front office is starting to do so in Houston. So that's where they need to go. They're not specific guy who brings a certain level of scheme, but a culture builder to redefine the brand of the Houston Texans. Um, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I was watching um, Colin Cower's podcast on volume. He had a guest on who said Miami flew out to talk to Brian Dable. Um, Brian Dable might not be the move. And I'll talk about why, because it seems like he's got a spot on lock potentially. Look, Miami went out and they said, you know what? Tua's our guy. Brian Flores never liked Tua. The organization stuck with him. Tua's the guy. And I don't have a problem with it because I think Tua has a certain upside. And I feel like if the team's built around him, um, behind his strengths and not really solely on nothing that he brings to the table, you can get the best out of Tua what type of coach do they need to bring to the squad? Do they need to bring a guy that's complete, all aspects, or a guy solely centered around getting the best out of Valua in that offense?
1: Yeah, I think at this point, like I mentioned prior in the podcast, I think Callum Moore is the guy because you look at Brian Flores, he ain't the right guy. And as much as I think culture is a big thing in Miami because they do not have it right now, they have to get the best out of Tua because if not, you already lost your chances with Deshaun Watson by getting rid of Flores, right? So now you need to make sure that you, that Tua is the guy. And I think if you bring in a former left hand quarterback to coach a left-handed quarterback, that's going to go a long way because, you know, it's different with a left-handed quarterback. You have to scheme plays differently. You can't roll out to the right play action. No, you got to roll out to the left because he can make those throws better on the left And it's not something that like a right-handed guy can just easily wrap his head around to scheme plays open for. So while I think Kellen Moore is a terrible offensive coordinator for the Cowboys, he brings value to the Dolphins and to a for sure.
0: Kellen Moore is not bad. I I just don't like him. So I don't. I feel like if you're not a good coordinator, how can you be a better coach? We'll see. It could happen. It could work for some (laughs) guys. We'll see. We'll see. Indeed. Uh, For Tonga Valoa, look that the. Let's face it. Some guys like Herbert and Burrow—they're just able to come in. Who, ironically enough, were part of his draft class. They're able to come in into the remnants of what used to be the other quarterbacks' offense and take over. Burrow came in for Dalton and basically made magic happen behind that trash offense. And then next year, they built it around Burrow's upside, and he's great. Justin Herbert—I don't care what anybody says—he's been running Philip Rivers' offense in essence for two years and has been dropping numbers galore. Tua Tonga Valoa. He, he, he needs an offense built around what he brings to the table. He's not a revolutionary guy to where he can come in to somebody else's offense and make magic happen. He needs, in my opinion, route runners who run routes with precision. He needs speedsters. He needs, I hate to say it, like three Jalen Waddles. Now, they don't have to all be built like Jalen Waddle, but they have to have a Jalen Waddle skill set. And what I mean by that is dynamic after the catch, precise with the route running, and an ability to be threats down the field, because although Tua doesn't have a gr- have the biggest arm, if we're able to throw two deep shots down the field, they'll open up everything else in the intermediate part of the field, which is where Tua is great at. So they need to build an offensive scheme around Tua. And so I think that's where, you know, the GM, those guys, they got to make that happen. And then from there, bring a coach in that gets the best out of them. Your Kelly Moore take is unique and spot on because of what Kelly Moore brought to the table as a left-hand quarterback at Boise State. We'll see what happens there. But they need to build a squad around to it that fits his skill set and then have a coach that's able to draw up the plays to maximize what he brings to the table. The Jacksonville Jaguars are another unique spot. I think early on in the process, we all thought Byron left, which was somewhat of a lock, but we've heard Jim Caldwell. We've heard Bill O'Brien. We've even heard Doug Peterson. Um, out of all four of those guys... Who do you feel like would be the best fit for that franchise?
1: It's really tough. I've heard a lot of different names. I heard Matt Eberfliss's name flying around. He's the Colts defensive coordinator. I've been high on him since last year's cycle. It really just depends on what Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, is looking for. They obviously need a guy on offense for Trevor Lawrence. And you look at Doug Peterson, he's a proven winner. People might not like him, but he is the winner. Bill O'Brien is a great offensive mind. Let's not confuse general manager Bill O'Brien with head coach Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien is a head coach, offensive coordinator. He's he's very good and, and well accomplished, but as general manager, not so much. So I think those are two options. I think Brian Leftwich would be or Byron Leftwich would be a great for them just because he was a Jaguar at one point. But we'll just have to see. I really don't know. This is just one of these.
0: Head coaching hires that we'll know more about in the next few weeks, indeed. Indeed, I think Jacksonville it may come down to Left which and Caldwell. And here's why um, Jaguars for the past few years have had the likes of Urban Meyer, Doug Marone, and others be their head coach. And those guys are kind of authoritarian, they ruled with an iron fist, they made players' lives miserable. And I'm pretty sure players on the team went up to the front office and expressed how miserable playing under those coaching staffs are um, Caldwell might make the most sense or the logical move that Shaka Khan might promote moving forward because Caldwell's kind of laid back. His tenure with Detroit wasn't the most illustrious in terms of getting playoff wins, but they were winning teams three of those four years. He was there and it was because he was even killed, kind of let the players be themselves, do what they want, but was still able to get the bones out of them and they were able to be productive. So they might go that route that kind of curtail to what the players have probably been preaching for a while, which is, Gives a guy that's laid back, chill, lets us be us, but still holds us accountable and has us prepare to play our best on Sundays. And then Byron Lefwich, the story. And then the magic he's been able to provide with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I know, I know Tom Brady plays a huge part in that team being successful. And I'm pretty sure Brady adding his Patriot roots and elements within that offensive system has helped a lot. But I feel like at the end of the day, Leftwich has played a huge part in that too, in providing balance with The bombs that Brady provides and the intermediate shots as well and the running game, too, to make that offense go to the next level. If he's able to come back to where he played, really get the best out of Trevor Lawrence and bring that franchise to the top. Great story. So I think Khan Khan gives me the vibe. He doesn't really go after, in my opinion, the best scheme head person. He goes after the storyline. Or what his players want. He goes after what a player desires in the storyline. Storyline, left which, what did the players probably want? Caldwell, I think it might come down to those two. And I can't wait to see what happens there. Now, the New York Giants just hired Bill's assistant GM Joe Showen as their GM, which is great. Finally, got Dave Gettleman out there. They have a competent GM that I think can bring bring back New York Giants football to relevancy. Now, the rumors are, Brooks, Brian Dable might be the guy. Now, if I'm Dable, I don't know if I'm taking that job, personally. But if Dable does take it and become the headman of the Giants, does that put him back – well, does that put him on a fast track to relevancy sooner rather than later? Or even with Dable there, they still got a long way to go to rebuild that roster.
1: Well, Brian DeBole, he will, like you said, probably get that head coaching job. And I think he is the best man for it. When you bring in Joe Shane, that's going to – be great for them because Gailman was terrible now if they bring in uh the as head coach will him and shane will they see eye to eye on different things and if so i think that's going to be great will he choose to a stick with daniel jones or b take a new quarterback in this draft class because i think he will have a lot of say in it if he's the head coach of the new york giants and also he has so many awesome playmakers they just need to all stay healthy on that offense
0: Yeah, first order of business for the Giants, rebuild the O-line. My God, it's been so bad for, like, almost half a decade. It's been atrocious. Second, they have to decide on Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley hasn't been the same since the ACL injury. He's not the in-between tackle runner that I think his body type would portray him as being. And then Daniel Jones, in my opinion, had a career season last year, but still turnover prone. The accuracy inconsistencies are there. and For as much as he throws a beautiful deep ball, he'll make some boneheaded mistakes in terms of missing on the easy reads and whatnot. But when he wasn't on the field anymore, that Giants offense was piss poor. So I think with Dable, he worked with Josh Allen when Josh Allen was raw and he brought the best out of Josh Allen in a span of about four years. So Daniel Jones is somewhat of a similar challenge. He's not as raw as what Josh was coming in. But I think with Daniel Jones, his biggest issue is the intangibles. He just doesn't have them. He's very mistake prone. He puts the ball in harm's way. So I think Dayball will give it a try with Jones just because the quarterback class is weak and the Giants have two top 10 draft picks. And I think with those two top 10 draft picks, they will prioritize the offensive line. So from there, maybe Dayball can be the quarterback risk for Jones that he was from Allen, get the best out of Jones. Because on the defensive side, although they took a step down, um, the talent is there. I think they just need to write D.C., and they can get the best out of that aspect. The offense has the skill position players. It just needs better trench play. And I think Saquon and Daniel to stay healthy and take the next step. And then I think New York can kind of be on their way. Um, the Minnesota Vikings are up next. They have interest in Hackett as head coach. Um, they got to figure out their GM process. They got to figure out the Kirk Cousins situation because that's a situation in its own right. Uh, whoever they go with head coach GM, do they keep Kirk cousins in the fold next season as a starting quarterback, or do they cut ties with him sooner rather than later and embrace kind of a mini rebuild in Minnesota for the next two years?
1: Well, I think they have to be in one now alone, just with the offenses, the piece they have on offense and the young talent they have. The two guys I'm looking at is Kellen Moore, like I mentioned with the Dolphins and then Nathaniel Hackett, OC, for the Packers. I'd also like to look at the current offensive coordinator for the Rams. I'm blanking on his name, but I know he is really good. I think that would be a good fit. I believe they've interviewed him as well. Uh, it's I'm blanking on the name, but I think you know who I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, all those options are valid. Um, you know, the, the GM position is important. I think they got the same setup as the Raiders, where – Once the GM and coach are hired, they're going to decide if they want to rock with Kirk Cousins or not. And I think they will because I think what Kirk has going for him is statistically his numbers are outstanding. You see moments against opponents where he shows flashes. The problem with him is the intangibles and the clutch gene against elite comp. He just isn't there. So I think they're going to give it one more whack with Cousins this season. But I think the biggest issue with the Vikings are they're a little bit injury prone offensively at the most important positions. Christian saw struggled to see the field because of the back injury that was established early on in free agency. And as great as Dalvin cook is, he can not stay healthy to save his life. So they got to add depth, I think, and really hope that those guys can stay healthy on that side. And then defensively outside of Daniil Hunter, who was in and out the line of injury. And when he was there uh, was really itching to get out of town outside of Hunter Harrison Smith and, Eric Kendricks to a thing. They don't have any playmakers on defense. They've missed that corner with Jeff Gladney and Cameron Dantzler. Um, They haven't really had that safety dealt. They gave Patrick Peterson a flyer, and he was their best corner by default last year, but that's not saying much. They've got to establish some kind of presence within the defensive side, which means they got to draft better. Got to get a better scheme and I got to get their best from there because we just talked about Zimmer's a pretty good coordinator. It just didn't work out with Minnesota because defensively they missed. And a lot of that was on Zimmer because he drafted some questionable guys defensively where he could have got better upside somewhere else, but it hasn't worked. And somebody's going to have to come in and rebuild that side of the ball and get the best out of them because that's one of the main reasons why the last two seasons they haven't been in the playoffs It's because their defense has been so bad, either when their offense is in against stride or when their offense has had moments of decline last but not least Brooks and then we're going to wrap it up The Denver Broncos it's been rumored for a while Dan Quinn's their man but there's been some rumblings that he may not be their guy look man it's it's sad because Denver is in the AFC West and AFC West you have Kansas City dynasty you got the LA Chargers they got up next with Justin Herbert offensively and um their defense with Joey Bosa um and Derwin James The Vegas Raiders, they just turned a corner by reestablishing a presence defensively and then having a running game to go along with Derek Carr. The Broncos have the defense. They have the running game. They have the O-line. They have the receivers. They don't have the quarterback. And the problem is they may not have it again. So my question to you is, whoever they get as a coach, should they communicate to that coach the importance of Who's going to be the guy quarterback wise, or you just hire the guy and then you kind of go through that quarterback carousel process with free agency and the draft rolls around.
1: Well, I think George Patton loves Dan Quinn, and I do think that they will probably go after him. But I think what they should do is they should hire the Packers offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, and basically lure Aaron Rodgers to Mile High City. And I think that would be awesome because they're an elite quarterback away from contending and they could possibly be the number one team in the AFC West with Aaron Rodgers. And I would love to see Aaron Rodgers versus Mahomes two times a year. So I think that's the best case scenario, but worst case scenario, they go with Dan Quinn and stick it out with Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater or whatever. But I think that's probably the most realistic, but I would love to see them get Aaron Rodgers, get Nathaniel Hackett and work like that.
0: I agree. Um, with Nathaniel Hackett, I think the only reason you hire him is you guys have a conversation, and it's it's kind of I don't know if they have a tampering thing in the NFL. I don't know they do in the NBA. You have a conversation with Hackett, and the conversation needs to be across table to table t- across the table. Elway with Hackett. Look, man, if we're hiring you, did Rogers say he's gone? And if Rogers says he's gone from Green Bay, then you should be like, okay, well, if he's gone, then we're hiring you to lure him because that's A-Rod's guy. If Hackett can't give you a definitive answer on that, I don't think you hire him because you don't want to hire a guy like Hackett, built upon, we're going to bring Hackett in because of his relationship with Rodgers and Rodgers never comes. Now you're stuck with somebody that has offensive principles that don't fit with Drew Locke. So they need to figure out that dynamic. I think if they bring in Dan Quinn, they've got to chalk up the deuces on their quarterback room currently and they got to draft one. They might, they're might, they going to probably have to reach. And uh, Kenny Pickett, and Matt Corral might not be there. Carson Strong isn't a bad idea. I think Desmond Ritters is a little bit of a project. Malik Willis would bring kind of a Lamar Jackson with a little bit of a higher upside element there. But they got to get a quarterback with the first pick regardless. I think um, – or well, not regardless, but if Rodgers doesn't work, if that move's not there, you got to get a starting quarterback in the draft. They can't – they gambled by taking Sertan over Justin Fields. And you could say, well, Sertan was magical in his rookie season, and he was – But uh, they missed a quarterback under center that could provide a level of upside to that offense. And their most promising thing offensively was Javante Williams. That was about it. So they're so close, so close. And they've got to be able to hit home at the quarterback spot. I think you bring Hackett in. If Hackett tells you for sure, Rodgers is gone. Like Rodgers isn't going to talk to Green Bay or negotiate a return. He's gone. Then you get Hackett to lure him in. Um, That's a wrap for episode 40. Um, before I go, man, I want to give a huge thank you to Brooks Huber, man. He came through, had a great conversation about a variety of NFL topics. Before I go, Brooks, man, the stage is yours. Talk about what you're looking forward to in the divisional round. Um, promote your platform before your way out, and even talk about how you like being a guest on the Independent Intel Podcast. So take it away.
1: Thank you for having me on. If you ever need me to come back, I would I would love to come back. I had a had a great time, and I'm excited to watch some football tomorrow and on Sunday. Just a huge shout-out to you for just having me, asking me to come on. I felt honored, so I appreciate that.
0: Hey, man, I appreciate it. S- saying, uh, same appreciation goes back to you. Big ups to Laces, man. He made it happen, got the connects through, and here we are there. So episode 40 is in the books. It's under wraps. It's official. Episode 41 will return next week with another NFL IG page guest to talk about some more football Without further ado, this is yours truly, Kimbu I'll be back next week. Peace.